offering stands this morning as we open in worship. We sing that great old, great old hymn, There's Power in the Blood. Well, would you be free from your burdens? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you believe a victory win? There's wonderful power in the
Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning, Sunset Hills. How are you today? It is a beautiful day outside today, isn't it? And it's a beautiful day to remind ourselves that there is power in the blood of Christ. And as we get closer towards Easter, we get so excited about remembering that it's through Christ alone that we're made right with God. Isn't that awesome that we have a Savior that did that for us. We want to welcome all of you all this morning that are guests. Um, we are so excited that you are here with us this morning. And if you're joining us on our live stream, we'd love to get to know you better. Um, if you're here, please stop at our welcome desk on the way out so we can just say hi and give you a high five and give you something uh, to let us know how much we appreciate you being here this morning. Um, Y'all can have a seat just for a moment. We are two for two, Pastor Steve, on baby dedications these last two weeks. And we're going to have another one this morning. I just uh, felt like at the end of that song, I wanted to say, yeehaw. Yeah, I should have. I, I just, uh, hey, Jennifer, I want you to come back out just for a second. Jennifer, come here a second. I want you to know that she's dressed for the occasion today. Look at her cowboy boots there. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, they look about my size. I don't know. Yeah. Come here, guys. Come over here and join me on this side over here for me, if you don't mind. Good to see you. Hi, fellas. You guys welcome the Norum family here this morning with, uh, with Jack. You think I could hold Jack? Come here, buddy. Come here and see me, I won't tell you. I just, I just I, you know it's coming, right? You know it's just, I want you to look at the comparison between the hair on this baby <laughs> and the hair of that daddy. Look at that. This is Jack Elliot Norum, right? Jack was born on January the 11th of this year. Jack came into this world weighing seven pounds and 14 ounces. He's a lot lighter than the one I had last week. I think I can handle him the whole time. We'll see. He was 21 and one quarter inches long. You know what? I think he's already grown about two more inches, and that's good. You know, uh, as, as Pastor Mike said, it is a joy to be able to do this two weeks in a row, to be able to do a baby dedication. Because God says that children are a gift from Him. And when He's given to a family, that comes with a lot of, of strings attached, quite honestly. It comes with a great deal of responsibility uh, that God lays on you, not only to have raised these guys to start with, but, but now He's given you a third son and together to, to complete your family, or I don't know, maybe a try for a girl, I don't know, maybe something, but uh, <clears throat> he has given you these uh, guys to, for you to be protecting them, to be watching over them, to teach them about the ways of the Lord. Jack's given, Jack's a gift to you that God has given to you for that purpose. He trusts you. He tr he's entrusted Jack to you so that you wouldn't, he would know the love of God. You see how he's looking at mom there? And that he would be able to look to you as he's doing now as being the one who really introduces him to that love of, that Jesus Christ did. And when you go through life as you're raising him, it's important that you teach him the ways of the Lord, that you teach him to to love Jesus as much as Jesus loved him. And because one of these days we're going to pray, and we hope that this happens, that Jack will grow up and, or he'll get older and he'll say, 
I want to get to know this Jesus. And there's a better chance of that happening as you have taught him from the very beginning of who Jesus is. So God's entrusted you. Wow, look at that smile. You see it? Entrusted you to do that as parents. We want you to know that you don't have to do that all by yourself. You know, it's a daunting task to be able to raise a child in today's time. But God says, hey, while you're doing this, I'm with you. And there are times that you're not going to know what to do. Then you just call on the Lord and say, Lord, show me what I'm to do, how I'm to lead Jack and Knox and Alden. How do we do this? And the Lord's there to say, I'm here to help you, give you direction. We find it in his word. But also to say that our church comes along and partners with you to say, we're here to help you as well. And we want to, to do what we can as a community to pray for you, but to teach your boys as uh, we partner together for Jack and for Knox and for Alden. Okay? We want you to have this Bible as a, just a little gift from our church to give to Jack. That one of these days when he grows up, he'll be able to look at it and say, he probably won't remember this day, but you can help him remember as to why he was dedicated at church. And that's what we do. I want to tell you, there is nothing better than that smile of him looking over there. See, looking, I figured it out. He's looking to shine on your head. <laughs> I should pray now because I'm going to get in trouble with one of my deacons, right? Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we do thank you for Jack, Elliot, Nora. Who you blessed Kristen and Sean and their family with. We do know he's a gift from you. And I pray that your protection would always be upon him. Your love is certainly going to be with him. And may he discover how awesome your love is for him. And in turn, he give his love back to you. And I thank you for his parents who have him in church, who are a, a believing home that will teach him the ways that you want him to know and you, the plan that you have for his life. Now we dedicate Jack, not only uh, in, as his parents come, but we dedicate him to you. And we're grateful for the, all that you've done for us. In this, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, welcome Jack Elliott. Good job, guys. Hey. I think he likes looking at himself. You think he likes look? Oh, maybe he was looking at himself over there. Yeah. Take off worship team. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, stand with us this morning as we continue to worship. Uh, this week, as we were selecting songs, I just felt impressed to uh, take a couple of pages back in time a little bit. And um, although God has immensely blessed, I know all of us in this life that we live. The ultimate goal is our heavenly home. So is it okay if we talk about, sing about our heavenly home a little bit this morning? All right, amen. Sing along with us if you know the words. Well, some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. Coming after you and me, joy is ours to share. What rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise. Oh, they're singing, oh, they're shouting on that high. 
happy morning when we all shall rise. Oh, what glory! Hallelujah! When we meet our blessed Savior in the skies. When with all the heavenly hosts we begin to sing, singing in the Holy Ghost, how the heavens will ring. Millions there will join the song, with them we shall see. Tell me of a home where no storm clouds 
made possible because of that old rugged cross. Sing along with us this morning. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and Yeah. 
heads as we close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for that old rugged cross. Because God, if it wasn't for that cross, God, there would be no hope for an eternal home in heaven. So Lord, as we continue to worship you through spoken word, Lord, I just pray that you would pierce our hearts, God. Your word says that, that God, your truth is like a two-edged sword. So Lord, this morning, cut through those tough parts of our heart that, that Lord, we uh, try to hold on to so selfishly, God. Let us surrender all that we have to you. For it's in your son Jesus' name this morning that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So many of those songs, hymns that we sang this morning takes me back a long ways into my childhood. I think it's heaven's jubilee that... Um, they put together that rendition for that. Back when I was in elementary school, unless I tell you how old I am, um, Jake Hess used to have a, a old time singing gospel time that came on Channel 5 right at noon every day. And that Heaven's Jubilee was the song that he would open up with that would be the theme song of that, of that time. Um, the reason I know is not that I was laying out of school. I was uh, my teacher. Loved to hear the gospel music. So in the public school classroom up in Cookville, she would actually turn the TV on, the old rabbit ear television, would turn the TV on. And, and because it was so far away, we would get just about every other word of that. So I think I was singing along about every other word because that's the way I learned it when I was in uh, sixth grade. And we did sing a lot of the old hymns, but if you have been a listener more recently of contemporary Christian music, and I'm grateful that in our church we can do the old stuff and we can do the new stuff as well, that we have a worship team that's able uh, to, 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 no matter what it is, that they can, on a, on a dime, they can just put it out there and do a great job. Don't you think they do a good job? I'm glad you applauded for them and I give them that compliment because in a minute it may sound like I'm not complimenting what they do. So just hang with me just for a moment. Just remember that I did compliment them, all right? Because if you've been a listener of contemporary Christian music for any time at all, you probably heard a song that became a favorite among radio audiences and churches not just in the Southern Baptist Convention, but churches of all denominations worldwide during the late 1990s. The songwriter was Matt Redman. He tells a story about how this song came into being. He says that once he, he was in his home church in Watford, he was going, uh, this particular church was going through a spiritually tough time he recounts this in an article that I read from Crosswalk uh, Magazine uh, by David Schrader. And he says this about his pastor at that time, 
who was very successful, and they had a very successful worship team, band, and they, they spent a great deal of time of singing the songs there. But it was one day his pastor, Mike Pilavachi, asked his congregation what it was that they were bringing to God and worship. It was a very serious question. He was posing this question of, when you come in to worship God, what is it that you are bringing? Or are you just consumers soaking up the music? Now, I don't think we were just soaking up the music today. I think we were actually in a time of worship. But he had been watching as his church seemed to be coming just for the music to soak it up. His point was that the band and the church had lost their way in worship, and the only solution that he could come up with was to strip down every diversion and distraction. So what he did was very radical. He did away with the worship team and the band because he felt like that that was becoming a distraction when people were just showing up to soak in the music. He actually goes so far as to do away with the sound system because he felt that that was a diversion and distraction as well. And he said this, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? Now, that's a question I think is worth pondering for us today. What is it that we brought as an offering to God as we came to church today? Initially, Matt remembers, unplugging just led to an embarrassing silence. But eventually, the congregation rediscovered their voices, singing unaccompanying, offering up their heartfelt praise and encountering God in a fresh way. And by the time they felt sufficiently ready to reintroduce the band and all that went with it, the musicians and the sound system, the church had found a new perspective on worship. That it's all about Jesus and that it demands a response from the heart. That is the backstory for the song that Matt wrote. We're going to sing it for our invitation. You may know the words, you'll recognize it. It goes like this When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Do you hear the words? Do you hear the heartfelt um, pulling at this match, at his, at his deeper commitment? You search for something much different, much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Now, the real familiar words that you probably know. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you. 
It's all about you, Jesus. Matt goes on to say his recollection of writing this song as he scribbled it down in his bedroom very quickly uh, after he had heard his pastor issue this deeper commitment to worship. He said, there were no grand intentions for it to become an international anthem. The words were simply his own personal response to what he was learning about worship. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do away with our worship team or any of the musical instruments. I don't even want to do away with the sound system because, quite honestly, I feel I sound better when the sound system is running than I do without it. What I am suggesting, what I think we should do is pose the question and ponder it today, what is our personal response to learning about worship? Now, borrow a phrase from Matt's song as the title of my sermon today, The Heart of Worship. So as we personally ponder this question, I want us to look at a, an event that happened just days before Jesus was to be put to death. It's found in uh, three of the Gospels, and you know, the story is there, it just kind of in different forms, but if you were to look in Matthew 26, you would find it. If you were to look in Mark 14, you would find it. But we're going to look at the account of John in John chapter 12. So if you want to follow along your Bibles, John 12 is where I'm going to be most of the sermon today. If you want to turn there, go right ahead and do it. But would you join me in prayer right now? As we think about this thing that we call worship, Father, sometimes I think we've got it confused. We've given it a different definition. Maybe we just think that we're fulfilling that habit that we formed years ago of, of just, it's Sunday morning, so I go to church and I just go and, and I expect to be fed and I expect to just uh, hear a, a, some great music and, and, and maybe hear a good sermon, see if I can be moved. Yeah, Father, coming into this place is really about worship, who you are, how you love us, how you want to be a part of our lives, and we in turn recognize how awesome that is, that you, a, a sovereign God, would just be concerned about us. And this is our way to say thank you, Father, as we gather today for worship. I pray that we have brought more to this time than just our being that we would totally immerse ourselves into the awesome God that you are and sense your spirit and be obedient. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before I get into the account that John records, I, I want it, and I believe it's important for us to, to capture the setting that takes place just before the story we're going to talk about. And if you were to back up a chapter into chapter 11, you would see that there's been a miracle performed by Jesus uh, where he brings Lazarus back from the dead. It's really this intriguing story about Mary and Martha 
whose brother is very sick, and, and they send a message to Jesus, and he says, we need you to come, please come, and heal our brother Lazarus. The message gets very personal because if you were to find it in the Scripture, it would say uh, that don't just come and, and heal our brother, that it's the one Lord that you love. He's the one that's sick. You know him. He's a good friend of yours. Please come. This is a message of urgency, and they know that Jesus can come, so please come and heal our brother. But that's not what Jesus does. He actually says, it's recorded of him saying, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And through, rather than immediately coming as they had requested, what we find is that Jesus waits two days before showing up. And by the time he leaves to go back to Judea, Lazarus has been dead, as we read in that account, for four days. We're all familiar with the response that Mary and Martha said to Jesus as he's finally approaching and, and they know that he's coming and Martha hears that he's coming and what does she do? She runs out to meet Jesus and Jesus comforts her. But in one of the many profound statements that's made in this account, he tells her, something that I don't think she quite understands yet, but they would come to understand it with greater meaning just days ahead where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It seems like a, a strange thing to say when their brother has just died. But in this, we find a beautiful promise that we still hang our hat on, the whole hat of Christianity that provides hope in those times when we lose someone, that Jesus is the resurrection and that Jesus will bring life and that we'll never die. And soon Mary comes out and she confronts Jesus with a similar statement of questioning belief. Lord, if you'd have just been here, my brother would not have died. And in this, we see a very compassionate and loving, tender side of Jesus when the Bible says, Jesus wept. It's a very moving and emotional time for all who were touched by this death of Lazarus. We also know the end of the story, don't we? They don't know it at the time, but we're told that Lazarus was not to remain dead in a tomb sealed by a stone. And what does Jesus do? First, he gives thanks. Now, that's just a really strong statement to us. When we're asking God to do something, we'll start with a heart of thanksgiving. And after he gives thanks, he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? The dead man came out. Lazarus came back to life. 
in this he demonstrates an, a, a, an ability that is a, a foreshadow of what is to come. In this, what he does, what he uh, has happened there in, beside that tomb when he says, hey, Lazarus, don't be dead anymore. It's time to come out. What he's saying is, I conquered death through Lazarus. In the events of chapters 11 and 12, it's important to keep this in mind. All of this is happening just one week before the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. It's a fascinating account that we're about to go into that happens in a very unlikely place. After they've had those events soon after in John 12, there are two very contrasting acts of worship that are about to de be demonstrated. And in this, we will see one act that is an act of true worship, what Mary worships. We'll also see another act uh, um, of worship that is not. It's an act of worship that involves greed and pride and selfish, selfishness with Judas. It's a picture of Mary and her sacrifice to worship Jesus. It's also a picture of Judas, who's not concerned about worshiping Jesus, even though he's one of the 12. He's concerned about worshiping self and what he can get out of Jesus. Before we look at the text, I want to make a foundational statement about us today. We all worship someone or something. There's not a single person that's here today that you don't worship someone or something. Who or what we worship determines the quality of life for the believer, but it also determines the destiny of the unbeliever. So my challenge is for you today to bring into focus who or what you worship, especially to get us to focus on this important time that's coming up, what we call Easter, and to understand that Jesus is worthy of our worship. It really is all about Jesus as the song says. So let's pick up the story in chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of, uh, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now I want you to notice here that John is very careful here to give a, a time stamp of what is taking place. It's only days before the Passover, the last week before Jesus is to be crucified, is identified here in Scripture by John. Earlier in chapter 11, the Bible says that there's something else going on here. There's conflict that is arising, and there's about to be a confrontation as the Jewish leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. And they order that Jesus, that they, they, they're telling people, we want to know where he is so that he can be arrested. So if you know where he is, tell us where he's to be found. 
It's also important, I think, to note that while you've got this conflict taking place with these people now, these men who are out to get him, Jesus is only two miles away. Bethany's only a couple miles from Jerusalem. So while they're plotting, while they're trying to figure this out, while they're enticing people to tell them where he is so that they can trap him, here's Jesus. He's not running. He's not trying to avoid the situation. In fact, he's staying almost hidden in plain sight. Now, in my book, if I knew somebody was out to get me, you know, I, I, I'd, two miles wouldn't be enough distance between me and them, right? I'd get as far away as I could, but here's Jesus. He's close, not only to his time of death, but he's also close to the people, physically close, who are trying to plan it. You know what this really says to me? Of his willingness, it affirms this, to go through with the plan of becoming the resurrection of life. That he was determined to go through this so he could save mankind. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor in verse 2. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Now, I want to stop here and make note of those that we know that were present in the room, okay? So you've got this Jesus, he's, he's hiding in plain sight, or he's there in plain sight, really. He's at the home of, of um, Simon, as we find out in another uh, gospel, uh, but in this setting, you've got Martha, you've got Lazarus. Uh, we'll see in, in the next verse that Mary was present, and his disciples were with him, including Judas. And there's another man there who's the one whose house is being used to host the dinner, and this is Simon, and who is known as Simon the leper. You got to understand, there were a lot of men named Simon. This is not Simon Peter. It's Simon who is known as being Simon the leper. We don't know exactly who this man is, but here's what we do know. That Simon the leper would have been someone who was well known within the community. People would have known who he is. Many have speculated maybe he was the father of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. But we do know that he was a leper, and it appears now that his leprosy has been healed, and possibly Jesus was the one who healed him from his leprosy, because we can assume this in that he was in his home in the community, in the town. If he had been a leper, he still would have been, uh, um, he would have been forced out to live in the countryside. But now he's able to, to host a dinner and be with a crowd. So you've got a good number of people here. And there's a lot of activity and fellowship. Now you think about those people that were there. I could just imagine some of the conversation that maybe had taken place among the guests. People sitting around and I'm sure at this point they were laughing and they were sharing stories. 
And Simon's may have been talking about the time that he used to be an outcast. And now he's now being cured, and it's such a joy to be back with his people. It's amazing the healing that he had had. So he's talking about this, and he's just saying, man, it was a great thing that, that's happened to me. It's a wonderful thing. And here's Lazarus sitting over there listening, and maybe he chuckles, and he says, oh, man, your healing's not anything at all. I was dead for four days. Yeah. You want to talk about somebody that had really an experience? Jesus very likely was enjoying all of this. We don't know that. But there's also the elephant in the room syndrome that's taking place. While everyone else is reclining around the table, enjoying the fellowship, he knows that his death is only a few days away. And now verse 3. As all this is taking place, something uncultural that's not supposed to happen takes place. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what Mary uses to anoint Jesus, but just to say that Scripture brings out that it's hard to get and very expensive, maybe worth what people speculate about $25,000. However, Judas in a moment will later define its worth as a year's worth of wages. Now, this very act of her breaking open this alabaster jar of expensive perfume seems a little weird to us today. That someone would interrupt a meal and come in and start pouring this, this, this perfume all over the head of Jesus and all over his feet. I mean, I mean if I was in that situation, somebody's pouring this stuff on me, I'm thinking, what's up with this? What's the deal here? But not in that day. What, what was happening was a, a typical Jewish custom. But what was uncommon about it was that it was done during the meal. They would have done it maybe before the meal, but not during. And here's Mary. She's taking this expensive ointment, very likely her greatest treasure, maybe her single most valuable thing she possess, possesses. And what does she do with it? She gives it to the Lord. She breaks it open. Assuming that's to get out every last drop and willingly gives this most valuable treasure to Jesus. No one told her to do it. No one commanded her to do it. What we see in this culturally unacceptable act that normally would never take place is an act of selflessness. And then she takes her hair down, which is also unacceptable. Women didn't let their hair down in that day. And what does she do? She drops it down, 
takes the very hair that she has and wipes the feet of Jesus. It is a deep expression of love. How we call it pure worship and adoration for Jesus. So the first picture of worship I want us to see is Mary placing herself at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him with the greatest thing she has. I really try to put myself in that position and think through of what it must have felt like as she sat there performing these acts totally transparent, open to the presence of the Lord himself, and worships him. It did not matter what was taking place in the room around her. It did not matter whom was in the room with them. It didn't matter about the customs that she was supposed to to follow that would be allowed or disallowed. None of that mattered. It really didn't matter what this this flask of, of ointment cost. That didn't matter. Or how humiliating it might seem to us to, to take her hair down and begin to wipe the feet of Jesus. That did not matter. What mattered was that Mary had the heart of worship. And thinking through this also, I had to ask myself the question. It's a question I pose for you. When was the, real, when was the last time that you've been caught up so much in the heart of worship that you fall down in a sense of awe of Jesus. Totally and unashamedly worshiping Him. A time when you were just awestruck of His goodness, of His sacrifice, of His love that He has for you when you totally and inexplicably sense His presence and the Spirit is making His presence known. A time really when it did not matter. You're so caught up into listening to the Spirit and being in a sense of God awe that that's all that matters. Don't answer this out loud or raise your hand. But during the worship set this morning, was there a time that you really wanted to just raise your hands and you were afraid of what people might think if you did? What if we just fell down on our knees rather than raising our hands and just with a sense of awe. Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you did that all I can do is just sit at your feet on my knees and worship. 
Have you had those kinds of moments? They're available to all of us. When they happen, you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's just this feeling, and it's hard for me to even describe that everything's okay. I'm not worrying about anything else that's happening around me. Jesus, I just want to worship you. When's the last time you've been there? The heart of worship. One of the lines of the song is when you drop all pretense and you truly say, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. We're about to go through one of the holiest times of the year when the world stops to recognize the greatest event that's ever happened in history. Now, that's not in the crucifixion of Jesus, but it's in the resurrection of Jesus, where we, the world, really stops, especially the Christian church, when we say, it's all about you, Jesus. So I challenge you over these next two weeks, working up to Easter, that you take some time to do whatever it takes to say, Jesus, I want the heart of worship. It's all about you. I can tell you from first-hand experience, I'm no spiritual than anybody else. I have no more favor than anyone else does, but I've been able to experience this, and when I have experienced this, and I don't have it enough, I'll be honest with you, very transparent, but those occasions when I have, it's been powerful. It's been indescribable. It's been cleansing. It's a worship experience. And when you have that kind of experience that I'm talking about, you truly have experienced the heart of worship. Let me take a moment to expand your thinking of worship beyond this. Because while we have those high moments, that's not the only time that we can experience worship of Jesus. You see, you can have a a worshipful experience in other ways that you might not think of worship. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Watch how it expands this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What's that talking about? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory. Let me just rephrase it a bit. For the worship of God. So the life of a true believer is all about Jesus. It's what we do. Did you know that you can worship in your marriage? (laughs) 
I had thought about opening up with this and I decided not to but I'm going to throw it back in here uh, I've been teaching a life group for a long time and mostly for young adults and some of those young adults that we started with several years ago they're not so young anymore and I remember one of the topics that uh, we talked about we talked a lot about marriage type things and and one day I had found an article and I brought it in. You can look it up. You can discover it for yourself if you want to. And you and your spouse can have a night of worship. Did you know that you can have, be intimate with your spouse and it be called worship? that news to anybody? I'm thinking you ought to be celebrating that. Yay. I mean, really. I remember the response of people in my class is like I never thought about intimacy as being worshiped before yeah we can have that when we love our spouse as Christ loved the church that's an act of worship we can worship the Lord in how we parent when Sean and Kristen are teaching Jack and Knox and Alden about who God is, that's an act of worship that they're doing as parents. If you're single, you can worship the Lord in your singleness. And you can worship the Lord in what you do financially for the Lord. And you can worship the Lord in giving of your time and through your service. We can worship Christ in how we live, in what we do, in what we say, and what we think before the Lord. It says that whatever you do, that pretty much sums it all up, doesn't it? Do it for the glory of God. We see another act of worship, a second picture of worship in this account. It's a worship, an act of worship of self. And how it looks is manifestation in greed and pride. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Did you know that when Judah says this, it's the first recorded war statements that he ever makes in the Bible? How would you like to be known for griping and complaining when somebody is there worshiping the Lord? That's his reputation that goes before him. Guys, I, I, you didn't name your son, any of your three sons, Judas, did you? Why not? You know? None of my grandsons, I have four of them, are named Judas. I just ask you, does anyone know someone that's named Judas? That you know them personally? Why? Because of what that name 
signifies. He's all about self. That's what verse 6 says. Uh, let me back up. It, it should have been given to the sold and the money given to the poor, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole money, stole some for himself. Now, let's just back up just a minute. Because really, a lot of churches are guilty of this. Let's go back to verse 5 for a minute. And think about what Judas says. That should have been given away. There are a lot of poor people in the world, and we could have given, we could have ministered to them. We, we could have made some money here. I mean, that seems like a, a, a good point, does it not? It's a worthy cause. Rather than waste the perfume all at once, sell it to help the poor. In a way, that could be an act of worship, right? I mean, that makes sense to what a lot of people think. Hanging on to traditions that are way outside of what worship is sometimes makes a whole lot of sense. But in that, we're really missing what the true heart of worship is. Because what we see with Judas here is his true intentions of his heart were revealed. He didn't care about worshiping Jesus. In fact, he goes so far as to interrupting the one who is worshiping Jesus. What's Judas about? Himself. It's all about what he could get. The focus was on himself rather than on Jesus. When an act of worship of self in this he watches that expensive jar of nard being poured over Jesus. It's as if he was watching his share of the profits that he would have stolen being poured out on the ground. We know that in just a matter of time, Judas makes a deal to hand over Jesus to the Jewish leaders. And in that also we see how Judas is guilty of a worship of self. What does Jesus do? He says, leave her alone. You know why he does that? Because he sees the intent of Mary's heart. But in seeing the intent of Mary's heart, he also sees the intent of Judas's heart. Judas, it's not about giving to the poor. It's not about a worship of self. Jesus says, she did this in preparation for my burial. And in that, Jesus sees straight into Mary's heart. She gets it. It's an act of worship on her part. But it's also an act of preparation for what's coming. So in this story, we see two contrasts of worship. And they're very real. 
in the lives of two prominent people in close association with Jesus. First, we see that Mary, who made it all about Jesus. That's true worship. And then the second act we see is Judas, who made it all about himself. What is your worship today? I mean, really and truly, did it ever even occur to you on the drive over here that I'm going to church to worship Jesus? Did you even stop to consider, I'm not fussing at you, I'm just trying to get us to focus here. Did you even stop on the way, I mean, and think on the way here, the real reason that we're gathering as a, as a community and what it is that we should expect to happen as we gather? Okay, maybe you had a hard week and just you're just trying to make it in time for church you know you got kids who are fighting with you or spouse who's fighting with you or maybe you're fighting with yourself riding all by yourself you've just been focused on this hard week that you've had okay I'll give you a pass what about last Sunday What about the 52 Sundays before that? Or is it so much of a habit that we... And it's a good habit to be at church, amen? Let me, let me do that again. It's a good habit to be at church, amen? amen? That's a little better. Okay. But it's a better habit to be worshiping Jesus when you come to church. Oh, where are the amens on that one? You know why that this is a problem? Because there's always a tension that exists between who or we should worship and the who or what that we worship. That tension exists. Warren Wiersbe says this, God and Satan have this in common. Each desires our worship. God wants us to worship him because he is worthy, and he graciously wants to transform us. And Satan wants our worship because he wants to destroy us. And worship is the easiest way to achieve that diabolical purpose. This explains why worship involves warfare. Whenever we bow to worship God, the adversary will oppose us. So why do we come to worship? I mean, it's really a simple answer. We worship because Jesus is worthy of our worship. And he proved it. And what he gave up to come here and save mankind. So we have two choices. One is to worship who he is. 
and worship his heavenly father and in that life is given and the other choice is to worship Satan and all that Satan tries to entice us with and in that it leads to destruction would you pray with me please We will quickly begin to move, Father, shifting our thinking toward the Easter holidays. And even in that, we've not meaning to, but we've jumbled it all up with other things that, if we're not careful, will distract us. Father, I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad to have Easter egg hunts or talk about the Easter bunny or to gather as family on Easter Sunday to have that time of fellowship. Those in and of themselves are, are, are good. And Father, when it diverts our attention, whatever it is, whether it be those things that we put around Easter and, or whether it's in the vices that Satan tries to offer and says, hey, you want to have a good time, then do this. You want to feel really good, then it's okay. Those things that detract us from true worship of who you are. Whether it be these next few weeks or the last 52 weeks or on Easter Sunday. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just remind us that Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us falling down on our knees before him and just say, I just want to be in your presence. I want you to transform my life. I want you to save me. We worship you, Father. Help us to find, if we've lost it, that heart of worship. It's a time of invitation. So we think through maybe some of the songs that we sung earlier, or maybe something that touched us during the the message, or, or maybe the Holy Spirit, long before he even showed up here this morning, was, was tugging at our hearts and saying, 
I want to bless you. I want to transform you. Pray, Father, that we won't get caught between the tension of what you want to do and what Satan wants to do. And Father, if it means this morning that we come into this altar, this place, and we get on our knees or we sit in a chair in whatever posture that we yield ourselves to the listening of the Holy Spirit to pray, restore, place in me a heart of worship. That we won't hesitate, we won't think about what are people going to think or any other thoughts will come into our minds except being obedient. If you're calling someone to do that today, may it start right now as we stand and as we sing. When the music fades and all stripped away and I simply come longing just to Something that's of worth That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within The way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made And it's all about you It's all about you King of endless world, and no one could express how much you deserve. And though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Let this be our song this morning. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. Heavenly Father, we pray that this not only be our prayer in this church, your people, 
but in churches and your congregation and your people all around the world as we as we look forward to that Easter Sunday, that resurrection day that we celebrate, that we worship you. Pure worship of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated, please. Amen. Here we're gonna take a moment and watch a very short video so uh, enjoy this, everyone. This Saturday at 10 o'clock is going to be an extravaganza of an escape that you have never seen before. We got kids, as you've seen right now in this very auditorium, that are all spread out with eggs in their hands. Hold them up, kids. Hold them up. This Saturday, you can sign up your kids at sunsethillsbc.com register. It's going to be a fun day of activities and gathering eggs. And when you come, heads up, you need to come prepared to... Heads up, everyone. Throw them out, guys. Heads up. Heads up. <laughs> Pastor Steve got one. There you go. This Saturday at 10 o'clock, we'd love to see you guys. And there's still opportunities to serve if you want to serve. Um, on the way out today, come see me. I'll have a bucket. You can take one of these eggs. They have invitations in them to give to someone. So go egg your neighbor, not literally. Go egg your neighbor with these eggs. They have candy in them and invitations on how to sign up. And we'll see you guys Saturday. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Mike. And that sounds like a great camp fundraiser. Don't egg my house. We'll pay for no egg insurance. That's I do great. wish this was real right now. If it was real right now. I, I would have egg on my face. You'd right? have egg on your... Instead of anointing you with oil, I don't want to anoint you with an egg. I would like to uh, share with our church family that uh, uh, we have some folks who uh, have, want to become a part of our our of this church family here. They've been a part of a church, another church family for many, many years. In fact, one of them served on staff in another church and was a pastor secretary. But you have, may not have met uh, Yvonne and, and Joel Edwards yet. Miss Yvonne is, is back there sitting by her son that m most everybody knows, Tracy. Miss Yvonne, would you stand, please? So I met with Ms. Yvonne and Joel on uh, Wednesday of this week and, and spent some time with them. And they are moving here from San Antonio, Texas, have moved and are living with Tracy and Julie. And 
They're saying, hey, we, we want to be a part of what's going on at Sunset Hill. So we welcome you and your husband, who's a little bit, he, he's unable to get out as much as he used to. And so maybe some folks can go by and, and say hey to him and welcome them and our church, into our church. So thank you so much. May God bless what we do here as you become a part of that, as we minister not only to you, to this community. Okay, we're good? Really? <laughs> Have a good afternoon and see ya. Hi, good morning, this is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what, we would love to hear from you you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person, we would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and uh, do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.